morning. A reading from the Gospel according to John. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you my father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and become my disciples the gospel of the lord morning i want to bring up giovanni if giovanni is here remember we're doing what's called resurrection stories and uh um Giovanni was part of, uh, I'm part of a denomination, um, we're part of a denomination, I'm on what's called the Minister of Education of Board, and so when we have difficulties with churches, I have to come in, and there was a very difficult time with a church that he was part of that he grew up in, and many of us have what's called issues with churches, and uh, so t tell us a little about the church that you came from. Can I sing about it? No. <laughs> yeah, you can sing about it. Make a song about it. <laughs> um, so I, I grew up in East LA. I went to East LA uh, Latin Life Christian School, and they had a couple of congregations there, an English and a Spanish, Spanish congregation uh, that I was a part of. So since about 14 and on, I, I would worship there and stuff like that. Um, so that kind of, you know, things happen. Things happen in churches. and. <laughs> And so within a few months of, you know, a matter that Kevin came in to, to help us um, with, with the healing process. That's, I mean, not to get away from the question, but um, I think that's what I noticed about Kevin when he first came in to kind of help us. Um, it was like one of the first meetings, I think, that the church had after the incident had kind of taken place. And, and so Kevin was there with other people from the denomination. And, um, and I could just tell by the way Kevin just, he felt different than... I mean, not to say anything about anybody else, but he just felt different in the way that he chose to, like, connect with, you know, the church as we were going through this thing. I could just feel that Kevin was coming from, like, this place of, of healing. Um, so, yeah, that kind of, after a few months, um, it was pretty much just me on the worship team, two new members, the pastor, and, like, his family. And that was the whole church, you know. I thought to myself, I think it's time for me to... To find another place. Yeah. The church went some very difficult stuff. And they had an incredible worship team together. And he grew up with a bunch of young people. To the, and uh, they were like a team. And to watch some adults, like us, just make some bonehead decisions about themselves. You know, when we think of our, ourselves and we're very individualistic, it can cause problems within the body of Christ. And uh, the church eventually closed down. And so Brooke and I, Brooke kind of mentioned you, and, and, and I, I love Giovanni. So we sat in Starbucks, 
and I gave him an invitation to come over here and heal. And the invitation wasn't received <laughs> right away. Because how long did it take you? Uh, six months. <laughs> okay, okay. So I'm thinking he would call me the next day. But it shows you how serious he was contemplating his healing. And so six months later, you came here. How long ago was that? Five years ago? Yeah, it was five years ago. And I think it, it was six months, like you're saying, because right. I, I realized that I had just left, a, you know, the church. Well, there was hardly any church left. And, and, and the worship team and, you know, people that I had right. worship with, like you right. said, for, for years, I'd known, you know, a lot of the, the worship team members since we were kids. So... Yeah, I wasn't about to, like, rush into, like, another, you know. Like, <laughs> another issue church. No, just another, yeah. you know, another. But I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Giovanni. you got to listen to some of the things he says between songs. Because about three weeks ago, <laughs> I don't know if you guys got it. He just said, you know, I just got a phone call from my family. My family's crazy. And he just went on worshiping. And I'm going, this guy worships even out of his pain, right? Because sometimes it's hard, especially when you're leading and you just get a phone call and just say, my family's crazy. So how do you work through that? I know music's part of your healing, but how, when you're up here, I, mean, I, I know how it's like having a bad day and you're going, I hate everybody right now. <laughs> you all suck and I don't want to be here. <laughs> That's how my sermon's going to come across when I preach today. How do you deal with that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's you just, said last night it's music. Yeah, I mean, because last night um, people were, were mentioning, commenting on the calmness of, of worship and, 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 and the stillness of it. And I'm saying that I also benefit from that, too. Like, I am also calmed by music. I also am soothed by music and healed by music. So. Right. That's been my go-to. I think I learned that from like a young age. You know, there was always music. So right. As long as there's music there, I can. I'll right. Be all right. <laughs> so he, if you notice, a lot of the worship songs or some of the worship songs he wrote himself, which is incredible because he has a very great talent of worship. Now you're going to school right now, right? Where are you going to school at? Um, in Santa Clarita, up in uh, Cal Arts, Valencia area. Okay. And what kind of car do you have? What kind of car I had. <laughs> <laughs> it burned this morning or last it did, night. It didn't burn. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, no, yeah. I'm good. Okay. Do you have a 1960? A 1964 Ford Falcon. Okay, that he had since he was 19, and he's like emotionally attached yeah. to this car. So, the good thing is that he's growing. The bad thing, he came to me about three weeks ago, and said, "I need to move on." And uh, so this is his last Sunday with us. Uh, yeah, just late on. <laughs> That's Randall, which he grew up with uh, in the same church. And so I just kind of got you and Randall <laughs> for this. And so uh, we really appreciate his worship. We appreciate the season of five years of been healing for him. But uh, he just got some things that he needs to do. And uh, we all need to grow up in a sense. And uh, so I, I drove out to Valencia and I, I just gave him the biggest lecture on how, how, he, how he can leave me. And it's all about my individualism. And, but uh, he, he's, I agree with his decision. This is the right decision for him. And it's a hard decision for me and the church. 
So uh, do you mind if we just pray for him and just like the Lord would just continue to bless him and be, and be part? Um, go ahead. Yeah, I, I just, I'm sure I've had a few. What's the next step? What, do you, what are your plans? So just to kind of let you guys know kind of where I'm at. Um, so I have one more year to finish my, my bachelor's. Um, and I'm a musician by trade, I guess you can say. I mean, since I was 16, I've been playing in bands, playing in clubs, trying to do festivals, recording. So that's really what I really want to do with my life, and that's the next step, but I got to finish the degree first. So I want to focus on my degree for the next year and at the same time build up momentum for a career. So once I graduate, I can um, get right to it instead of trying to build it up for another six months to a year. So okay. that's pretty much it. All right. Do you mind if we stand and pray? Father, we thank you, Lord, for um, Gio. We thank you for the years that we had him and the years that he's been such a blessing towards this church and this ministry. We just pray, Lord, that he will continue to be used in mighty ways. We thank you, Lord, for, for his just humbleness when it comes to serving you. But we pray, Lord, that you would just bless him in every aspect of his life, that he can continue to be the man that you called him to be. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen. All right, buddy, thank you. God bless you. Don't ever leave. I take this hard on it. You can maybe be seated. Now, I want to show you this picture. If you're familiar with these two companies, I call these companies Uber and Lyft the most individualistic companies on the planet. Because there's times that I, I go Lyft, and most people that ride Lyft or Uber have their own cars. And so when I got out here on a Sunday morning and people said, let's go to CPK in the Marina del Rey, I just looked and I said, I don't want to walk 300 yards to pick up my car. Have you ever done that? Because I'm so important. And so I grabbed my phone and I called a lift so I didn't have to walk to get my car and go in the garage and get my key. And it's interesting. I don't know if you ride, ride with Uber and Lyft. I usually sit in the front seat, but if you, don't want, if you want to act like a prima donna, you sit in the back seat, right? Because you don't want to talk to the driver. So you get in the back seat, and then that person, who's not getting paid much, you don't even have to talk to them. They'll drop you off wherever you want. And so you think about this. You go, my goodness, how bad can I get? How self-centered can I get? Now, we understand that there's parking in the Marine Del Rey. I, don't, I can justify it. But it's interesting. I love being individualistic. And you like it, too. We like to think about ourselves first, don't we? What's convenient for me, and therefore I'll pay a few dollars to let somebody else do something like driving that I don't want to do. Now, where do we get this from? We get this from our country, because we have what's called the Declaration of Individualistic. No, actually, the Declaration of Independence, don't we? Which is the same thing. And so if you remember going to junior high, if I look up, I put it up here, some of the Declaration of Independence, it says this, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they are endowed by the Creator and certain unalienable rights that among these are the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
Fantastic, isn't it? The pursuit of happiness, that's what we want. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, it's interesting how this was written. It was just basically for the white landowners that really got it. And then you had the white male non-landowners, but eventually it got to the other people, and it's still that the independence is important for us. The idea is simply this, that all of us have what's called individual rights. And we know our rights, don't we? I have a right for this, customer service, a right, a right in a marriage, a right. We have these individual freedoms, these individual rights to pursue life and liberty. And it's a good thing, but the tendency is we have these individual rights that we've become very individualistic, or what we call individualism. Now, my definition of individualism is this, and I put it on the screen, is to live and let live. I am free to live how I want as long as I don't limit you from living how you want. Don't get in my business. Don't make me adjust because I'm in the pursuit of my self-centeredness so I can be happy. And so therefore, if anyone prevents you from being happy, they're like a pain in the rear end, aren't they? Because we're, we have this individualistic view. And here's the problem. This is where we cross into the danger zone. Because what happens, individual freedom, if that's all that matters, then we have problems. And so I put this on the screen that basically says, I'm responsible for my own well-being and happiness, and you're responsible for your, your own. And so basically I'm saying, look, I'm not going to make you happy, so don't even look to me to make you happy. But I'm focused on whatever makes me happy. And whatever makes me happy, you ever hear the old saying? Hey, I got to do this for myself. I got to live for myself. I got to do this for me. That's individualistic. And so therefore, you're saying, my personal happiness is more important than you are. And this is how we act sometimes. Now, some of, the, some of this is true, but the problem is with that individualistic thinking that we live in our country, we, we form what I call hyper-individualism. Now, hyper-individualism is very fascinating to me, and I put this on the screen. And tell me if this is not true in the country that we live in. Hyper-individualism is when we become so self-focused that we can hardly see beyond the end of our noses. And we think life is just about our own individual freedom and happiness. So we don't see the needs around us because we're hyper-individualistic people, you see? And so when, and this is sad, this is how I felt. I was, the light was turning green, an ambulance. I go, are you serious? I missed the light. Did I think that someone's dying in that vehicle? that is a father and mother? No, I'm ticked off because I missed the light. Am I the only one that does that? You know you do it, you just don't say it. But there's a sick, when's the last time we said, okay, you know what, I'm gonna say a prayer for that person who that ambulance is picking up or who that ambulance is taking to the hospital. But we don't, we get frustrated because we're going, go, 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 the car in front of us so we can cross it before that ambulance comes. And so it's interesting to me that hyper-individualistic, hyper when we become more and more, we become lonelier and lonelier, don't we? Because when we become lonelier and lonelier, we become isolated because we act like we're the only person on this island. 
And so what's fascinating here, if you look at a podcast, you listen to a podcast, the podcast is called The Hidden Brain, and they came out to the conclusion that the most isolated and lonely Americans are me, middle-aged men. That they find out that middle-aged men rarely, if any, have any close friends. Because we bought in this concept of our masculinity to be rugged individualism. That we don't need anybody. I don't need to be opening up. I don't need to be crying to anybody. I'm just living for myself. I can take care of myself. Have you done that? I can take care. No one's going to take care of me, but I can take care of myself. And so we buy into this. And this is interesting because as a father or a husband, what we realize is how often do we really spend time with our families? When was the last time we sat down at a table to eat together instead of a couch? When was the last time that we didn't have the TV on or the Game Boys on or the, or the phones? It's interesting when we look at someone, when all of a sudden we go at the table, everyone just grabs their phone. And you're just going, really? Is it that quick? You know, you can be in a minute conversation with someone. I don't even know who that is, but I'm saying that person is more important than you right now. Right? And so what we're saying is because we're so individualistic. And so what happens, our family becomes, our home becomes what I call a Metrolink station. That basically we just come and go and get on different trains and do this, and we say hi, and get our tickets and go, and, and minimal conversation. But when I was young, we had what's called a community where kids actually played together. That we went down the street to Steve Allen's house, to Mike DeMordon's house. And my parents said, hey, get out of the house, it's summer. And basically, I would go and play with the kids, come back for lunch, then go back out, then come back for dinner. Because we knew what social community was all about. Even within the church, when I started as a at a church, at Brazil Nazarene Church in Pasadena, we had Sunday morning and Sunday evening services. But once a month, we had what's called afterglow. And that's where everyone brought their casseroles or their favorite meals and stuff like that. And we lined them along the table, and we sat for hours just sitting at the table getting to know one another. It was very interesting to me that our society, the more individualistic we become, the less community we want to be part of. We don't want to talk to anybody. It's just so much effort to talk. It's so much effort to have eye contact when you're walking. Just look down, pretend everyone's gone. And so this is interesting. We are not built to be on an island ourselves. In fact, if you watch, look at the screen, our unhappiness is often the result of hyper-individualistic pursuit of happiness. We are unhappy because we have the nagging feeling of disconnection because we are in denial about reality. Now watch this. The reality about reality is that everything is connected. We are each individual manifestation of the same whole. Even if we think we're not, we are in relationship to everything else. Do you know when this church was packed out, completely packed out with just a community, with three days after 9-11, President George Bush declared a day of prayer. There was everyone here packed to the gill. I didn't have to act. I didn't have to do 
people were hugging each other. People were talking to each other. People were praying for you. It didn't, didn't matter. When I said, let's pray, they go, whatever you believe, let's do it. Let's see if it works. But it was a community because we, we were built that way. That's what happens when tragedy happens. We gravitate together. But what happens months later, we go right back into our individualistic worlds and do our own thing. Now, I want to show you this picture. Felix um, is a great photographer, and uh, he took this picture of a sunflower. And it reminds us of us. It just basically says, look at me. I am beautiful. <laughs> you know, I, I, let me just say something personally. I don't take selfies because I have a tremor, and I would just be blurry. But don't you think people that take selfies, and I don't look at your Facebook, struggle with narcissism? Am I the only one that thinks that? Especially in the bathroom when they're going, and you're just going, seriously, let me take off my shirt? You know, and you're just going, seriously, nobody wants to see what you look like after the shower. <laughs> you know, I just don't understand. I have some weird friends on Facebook, I guess. And so this is interesting because this is such a beautiful picture, but it reminds us of us. We're very individualistic. We just shine. And so this is, for me, what is interesting. Jesus said, you're not a sunflower. In fact, I'm telling you what you are. In fact, if you look at the next slide, he says, I am the vine. My father is a vine grower, and you are the branches. For us in the hyper-individualism, we, we like to, Jesus to tell us, look, whatever you want me to be, I'll be. And whatever you want to be, you be. Whatever. It's up to you. But Jesus is not going to lie to us like that because he knows how we're built. He knows that we're created to be together. Look on the screen. Just like grapevines and branches are all tangled up together, it's hard to tell what is what. Is what. We are not only connected to Christ, but our lives are intertwined together and with others. See, the problem is when somebody hurts, I hurt, because I'm intertwined with that person. When somebody's happy, I'm happy for them. When we get jealous in other people, we're not intertwined with that person, because we're on our own island again. And so if you look at the, I have a picture of the grapevine, we see the grapes growing, but it's hard to tell which branch of each cluster of grapes it's coming from. It's just so intertwined together. It's not like the sunflower growing by itself. We can tell where it's growing from. But the grapevine is just powerful illustration that Jesus didn't randomly throw out there. But it made us think. In fact, if you look on the screen, he talks about bearing fruit and and, but what does it mean to bear fruit? It says the resurrection or new life in Christ is about connection. It's about being connected to Christ rather than being disconnected. A disconnected branch is a dead branch. It can't grow fruit. It's not functional. It's pretty much worthless. But when it's connected to Christ, the same life-giving spirit of love that flows throughout all things flows into us. The fruit that each of us produce is a unique manifestation of that love. And we begin to do what we are created to do, not so much for the pursuit of our own individual happiness, but for, for, for the sake of nourishing others 
with whom we are intertwined and connected. John uses a word abide, which I think is fascinating. It describes a connection in which God's love flows through us in the spirit of Christ. I want to show you this picture. I was gone last Sunday. I heard Pastor Ruben did an outstanding job. And if I was hyper-individualistic, I would be frustrated because he did an outstanding job. <laughs> and so this is where I was. I was in uh, Haman Lake, Idaho, with these men. Never met these men back in January. I met them. But there's such a bond that I'm learning to have that I've never had a bond with men before. Men have problems telling other men I love them. But we're all pastors, and we're all messed up, and we're all on the healing of reconciliation and process of recalibration. Three are from Washington, two are from Northern California, and then me and then our fearless leader, Rick Rouse, the, the gentleman with the blue, bottom right. It's amazing when we connect, we heal. Because one thing that I've noticed is that when I'm going through something, that I isolate myself because I'm so individualistic or narcissistic that I'm the only one that's going through this. But when I intertwine with my brothers in Christ, then I realize that they're going through the same thing. And that's amazing healing of understanding and compassion that all of us need. And so another example is this communion. We, we come to each week to have communion together. Communion really means to share or to overlap or to have something in common. That's what it means to abide. When we abide in Christ, we share in Christ, don't we? And so back on the screen, when we have communion in our worship service, we drink of the fruit of the vine and we are connected to the vine and become the intertwined branches that bear that fruit. Why then in communion often just, just a me and Jesus moment? Communion is always a, uh, communion is always a we and Jesus moment. This is the reason why we share peace. It's interesting when we say give them peace before communion. It's like, not like we need a break to figure out who's doing communion, which sometimes that happens. But the peace reminds us that it's not just us taking communion. It's all of us. All of us, and let me just share with you. I looked at other people and I go, man, we've not, we didn't ask to be on this planet. We're all trying to make it. We're all going through difficult times. And the more isolated we become, the more lonely we become. But the more we interconnect with one another and go, you're going through crap too? I'm going through crap. And you know what prevents us from sharing our hearts? It's pride. Pride has to connect with individualism. Because you think you're so good. You think you don't want to come across weak. And so this is interesting that when we open our eyes on the screen, I begin to see beyond myself, and I see you. And you begin to see beyond yourself, and you see me. And as we really see each other, we begin to see Christ, and we know that Christ sees us. And as our eyes are open to each other and to Christ, our eyes are open to the reality that my peace and well-being are connected to yours, and vice versa, because we are intertwined with each other. 
We recognize that the life-giving spirit of love, which is the Holy Spirit, is flowing through it all. And it is in the communion that we often realize that we have forgotten reality and begin to live once again with the illusion of separateness. And when at the communion table we remember Jesus, we are remembered in one body, the body of Christ. So when we take communion, we make it a point. It's not just me and Jesus, but it's the body of Christ. I want to share with you as a pastor that I think it's good for pastors to confess to their congregation because I need to lead this. And so, as you know, every once in a while, I have issues with my family. And so I made this commitment that Hayden Lake is Monday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday is my recalibration. But I made a commitment to fly up Friday to see my family. I haven't talked to my brother once. I talked to my brother once since September. I'm frustrated with my dad. But I restored in order to restore. I cannot bring you into restoration if I'm not willing to do it myself, right? See, we know how to act it. How's everything going? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Yeah. But deep down, I got an emptiness that's longing of hurt. So I made a point. I, so my, my sister-in-law, who's oblivious to what's going on, said, why don't you stay with us? And I go, oh. But the Lord told me to do it. Yeah. Took some pride right off. I got a credit card. I could get a hotel. Motel 6 is 58 bucks. So I sat there. And man, I wanted to run. You ever been there? I just didn't want to deal with it. And I was looking for anything to trigger off, to walk off. But the Lord just said, you got to stay there. So I went to church. This is the first time I went to church in years, sat in the congregation. I hate pastors. They're so convicting, aren't they? <laughs> Have you ever felt like that? I go, why is he talking to me? I don't even know this guy. But he just preached a sermon that went pow, pow. And I go, I do not like to be on the receiving end of this. I don't even know why you guys come to church. <laughs> and he said, I want to, you need to make, make it up with your brother. So I said, okay. So I sent a fleece out there. And I said, Lord, let me spend some time alone with my brother. So my brother calls 10 minutes later and says, I'm going to the dump. Do you want to come? No. I said, sure. You know how hard it is to reconcile? You know how the struggle of pride kicks in? You know when you start a conversation, you back off, and you start a conversation, back off, because the vulnerability is right there, and you don't want to get hurt again? Am I the only one that deals with this? And you, you, just, you just go, okay. So starting to sentence, starting to sentence, starting to sentence, starting to sentence. And then there's a big, long line for this dump, and I'm just going, oh, man, let me get out of this truck. But the Lord told me, seek forgiveness from your brother. I didn't do anything. <laughs> but that's pride. So I said to my brother, Stephen, and I'll show you a picture of him. This, 
This is a, we haven't taken a picture in years together. So I said, Stephen, I need your forgiveness. He goes, no, don't ask. And I go, no, I need to do this for me. I'm sorry for my attitude. I'm sorry for thinking crazy things about you. And so I went to my mother, and I talked to her privately. <laughs> she doesn't know me. If you're new to the church, she has a stage seven dementia. This is what she does all day. So I went to my mother, and I go, what would you tell me? And the old thing that she says, don't bite your nose despite your face. And so I went to the hardest one with my dad. And I realized that the acceptance and love that I wanted from my father was what he wanted from me. He wanted my approval of him. But I'm focusing on his approval of me. Been there? And so I told my dad, I'm sorry for my attitude. And um, my brother said, I know you haven't been up here in a year and a half, but you need to come more often. When I left, I felt the Lord say, well done. If we're going to restore, I'm telling you, it is hard as hell on this restoration stuff. Restored in order to restore. But the Lord really brought restitution is not connected to reconciliation. I wanted restitution. But that prevented the reconciliation. So as we look at this and we go, it says on the screen, as this way of seeing should not just say here is a Sunday morning church service, but it should train our eyes to see that we are intertwined with everyone. All the time, even on the days between Sunday, and as we begin to see with these days, we begin to have a holy reverence for everyone with whom we come into contact so we can treat them as we would, we would Jesus. And when we do that, our lives become the fruit of love. I'm learning to bear fruit with my family. I'm learning to bear fruit with my father and my brother. Let's stand and close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to really, man, focus on how much you love us and realize even families that were intertwined together, even one another that were intertwined. And we pray, Lord, that our pride will be removed and our hurts so that we can connect, even if with one another as a body of Christ. We thank you, Lord, for each one of us today, that as we lead into communion, we can just be enriched by one another, that we're not isolated, that we're not going through this by ourselves. We just thank you, Lord, for your healing. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said.